I know that some people, if there's a baby bird nest in their backyard, they might get rid of it because they don't want that baby bird, those baby birds. But there's something about the baby birds happen in my backyard that makes you feel like this is special. And I'm not just teasing. I really do feel like that tree, this apple, mmm, delicious. I love you. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Draftsman Podcast Show. I am Stan Prokopenko. I'm Marshall Vandruff. I do proco.com. I teach art. I, I also teach art. Yeah. Oh, come on. You're supposed to <laughs> And keep I going. teach art better. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 man. oh man. We could have a, we could have like a, a contest. I do art better. Whoa. Oh, 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 oh man, man, man. I'm older. Yeah, you are. <laughs> You're older. I made it this far. You haven't. <laughs> Okay, let's just start the podcast. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. Uh. What? <laughs> uh, I'm drinking kombucha. It's very. And you're bubbly. drinking it out of a Skelly Proco mug. Yeah, these aren't for sale. Oh, so they're only you own one. <laughs> yeah. Wait, are they for sale? I think we closed that whole shop down. Yeah, these are not for sale. <laughs> we might put them for sale for this episode. Oh, yeah. 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 But I made a bunch it. of these for family and stuff. That's nice of you. Yeah. Yeah, you never gave me it's one. It's got you know, family and stuff. Oh, well. I just kind of um, think I was stuffed. It's just skelly on this side. Skelly with Proko on this side. Wow. So you get the double thing. Yeah. And kombucha. Continuity a lot. And that's great for podcast. Yeah, it's very bubbly. I got real coffee here. What are we going to do today? Um, I got another email. Oh, another email. Yeah, which okay. might lead to some fun conversations. All right. Why don't you read the email and we'll see. It involves several things. Mm-hmm. Children's books. Mm-hmm. Erotic art. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and... That's and it? Uh, and <laughs> as soon as you said erotic art, you couldn't get the next word out because it's just going to hang up on it. <laughs> it's erotic art. <laughs> oh, gosh, darn it. And um, hiding behind identities. Hiding behind identities. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that's an interesting topic. Okay. Read. Hello, I'm sorry to bother you, but I was hoping to get some advice on an awkward subject. Hmm. There were dot, dot, dots before the awkward. Ah. I'm a student hoping to get a career in children's book illustration, storyboarding, or character design. The problem is I don't know if I can limit myself to drawing purely innocent work. I know that some of the most well-known children's authors, illustrators have done risky stuff in the past or had a darker side. Dr. Seuss, Roald Dahl, Maurice Sendak. Did I say that right? right? Maurice Sendak. Maurice Sendak. <laughs> and that hasn't prevented them from becoming successful. However, the thought of getting turned away because an employer has seen my other work or has found some art from the past terrifies me. Hmm. I like to draw a range of themes and subjects and I do fetish erotic art from time to time. I'm not ashamed of it. I enjoy it. It's not hurting anyone and the subject is pretty tame. It doesn't show anything sadistically horrific, deviously grotesque, or shockingly offensive. Either way, it's a part of who I am and I don't want to hide it. But it sounds like I have to. It just makes me so frustrated because I don't feel like I should be forced to pretend to be someone else and hide behind an alias or else it'll close doors and windows of opportunity. 
I don't want to feel scared to draw what I want. I've heard so many different takes. Quotes. That employer will reject you on site if they find any of that stuff. Or you can put a link to it on your website showing that it's separate from your other work and that should be okay. Or it doesn't matter. All they care about are your skills. If they really like what you do, they'll hire you. Hmm. Uh, do you think we can shine some light on this for this person? Thank you for reading. Sent from mail for Windows 10. <laughs> 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 little technical info in yeah. there so we can lock onto that and avoid the holy rock. So you're not a thing. Mac user. All right. So children and erotic art mm-hmm. or children's books. Children's books. <laughs> there is a difference. That's shit. Children's oh, book. Unmonetized. Demonetized. Okay. 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 Um, okay. Well, the, the, I think the obvious answer that we both have to this is you get an alias, you, you get a pen name, whatever you want to call it, and you work under two different names for, for your work. Yeah. Is that enough? Or can this, it, will it still like track back to you and people won't hire you? If somebody cares enough to track it back, yeah. But I knew more than one illustrator, one in particular, this rep illust- uh, represented one woman who had two different styles and they solved it easily. She had this style with this name and another style with another name. Nobody knew where they, they were the same. Yeah, but there are styles. Even if someone finds out about the other style, it doesn't matter. It's like, oh, okay, cool. It's a different. Okay, well, there's one thing. that The person who said all the client cares about is the quality of your work and they'll hire you anyway is yeah, not that's not the true. Case. I know that from the experience of a friend of mine who was a photographer uh-huh. who lost clients because the clients saw it. But he had a link on his website to his other work, and so it was very easy for them to see that it was the same person. And so what were the two jobs that were connected? It was a mainstream uh, corporate photography and uh, erotic photography. Oh, and, okay. and he got, uh, he had clients that were the kind that when they, they saw that said, no, mm-hmm. we're not gonna hire you. So that is gonna happen. And it's gotta be accepted in advance. You might you can might say it's not fair, you know, the culture is so this way or whatever. But I also had a friend who had neck tattoos and he completely covered his neck with, uh, neck with neck tattoos. And people around him were saying, you know, you do that and you've got certain social sacrifices you're gonna make. And he had social sacrifices that he made as a result of that. Yeah. And it may be that the people who discriminate against you uh, are wrong, but that doesn't mean that they don't have power over you like your computer platform does. They're, they're the ones who make the decisions and they can ostracize and punish. So it isn't something to be taken lightly unless you've got nothing to lose. I said do it anyway. <laughs> I mean, that would, that's what I would do. Mm-hmm. If I really wanted to do these two things that are kind of contradicting, I would try to keep them as separate as possible, but I would still do it anyway and try to make it work. Mm-hmm. Like he said, it's not hurting anyone as long as you keep those two things very separate. It's not hurting anyone. Yeah, it um, makes a kind of segregated integrity to yeah. say that I have a waking and a sleeping time. I have a, a way that I'm, I'm this role and here I'm this role. And he didn't mention, uh, who is it that, Wrote, who was it? Or didn't give us a name. I did. Liam. Uh, Liam did not mention Shel Silverstein, who is one of the more extreme examples of this. Shel Silverstein did cartoons for Playboy. He did lots of children's books. 
And the children's books have a subversive edge about them, but it's an innocent enough subversive edge. Oh gosh, he also did an anti-children's book. I don't know if you knew this, Uncle Shelby's ABZs. It's very entertaining, but you would never want your kid to get hold of this. (laughs) What is it like? It's it's a children's book of Uncle Shelby's ABZs. And he's got a poem at the beginning that is, uh, so he's got a dedication of why he's writing this to these children, that he does not have any children of his own, but he has heard them playing and he has thought about them and he has he has uh, heard them laughing and he has thought about them and he has seen the things that they have written on his car and he has thought and thought and thought about them and now it's time for him to give the little angels the thing they deserve and so he writes a subversive children's book that will get them killed in one way or another and uh, wow. uh, or, or create you know some kind of mayhem and it's uh, it's again it's very funny that didn't hurt Shel Silverstein that I can tell, uh, but they. It doesn't take long for a kid to know that Uncle Shelby, uh, the the writer and the cartoonist, are the same person. He also did some pretty bawdy songs too. Some of them were kid appropriate. Some of them were not kid appropriate. But and I, I mentioned this, Liam, because this is somebody who definitely went that route. There are some others. My favorite example is Rose O'Neill. Uh-huh. Rose O'Neill was the inventor of the Cupid dolls in the early Cupie? part of the 20th century. K-E-W-P-I-E. Okay. They were adorable little dolls that were marketed. She even had a cartoon of them or comic of them. And they even in my childhood, I remember growing up saying, oh, that child is as cute as a Cupid doll. <laughs> And I didn't know that it was an invented character that Rose O'Neill invented. And she also did her own stuff that you would never know was by the inventor of the Cupid dolls. So I'm only mentioning this to say that contradictory or complementary styles and personalities can actually be a way did to round somebody Did she use the out. same name for both things? I don't know. I don't know about how that... Okay. grown-up stuff really f- fit into her public persona or whether even people e- even knew about it. Okay. Well, that was probably pre-internet too, so you, it's yeah, not easy true. to look it up. Well, pre-internet, but there is also, there's an example of someone who's doing it now and uses the same name for both things and he's getting very professional jobs from big companies like Nike and Audi. <laughs> or you know who I'm talking about. No. Kim Jong-gi. Oh, oh, yeah, so that's right. Yeah, yeah, right. Con- I mean, that's right. come on, like, oh, yes. people and that look like they're underage. Okay, I got sex you. I, I wasn't following you. In his sketchbooks, and everyone knows he does yeah. these sketchbooks. I mean, he publishes, he has a published book of all his naughty work. Yes. And he is given but, license. What's that? He is given license. Yeah, he, yes. he, yeah, everyone's okay with it. And even brands associate themselves with yeah. him. Brands that are very careful. Yes. With their image, still put him in their advertisements. Yeah, but they don't. I think it's like his main books, they like his publisher tries to limit that. Limit, but it's still in there. Yeah. And everyone associates him with naughty work. It's That's his brand. Right? I mean, they also associate him with just like amazing drawings just out of imagination, but everyone knows he does this like these sex scenes. And 
he drew on an Audi and they put it on their Instagram and he did the Stranger Things prom- promotion and there's always going to be exceptions and he yeah. is he is an exception. I'm just saying that you can make it work. Mm-hmm. So the whole you know that thing that someone said like all they care about is how good you are. Mm-hmm. It's partially true. It's, Might not be true for you. Right, right. <laughs> you got to be good. But it could sometimes be true if yeah. you're really good. They only care about your good until you actually do something illegal. Mm-hmm. And then they'll have to distance you from them. Yeah, but we've seen even in the last couple of years that even in that case, people get covered for for a long time. Yeah, so I wouldn't use the same name. Just even yeah, if you t- could stay yeah. safe if you want. This guy seems very worried, and I don't think he'll make it work like Kim Jong Un makes it work. If he's already so like worried about it, Kim Jong Un doesn't care, and that I think that's partly why it's okay. Yeah, because he's so true to himself. People forgive him. He's mm-hmm. like, okay, I honor the fact that he stays true to himself. He does what he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't, you know, the thing that you were saying where like you bring it on yourself because you talk about how you, or you, you don't want to talk about the fact that you don't eat anything except yogurt. And that's why people want to talk to you about it. If Kim Jong-gi was defensive about all of this, people <laughs> would push him at it even more. Sure. But because he's just like, oh, whatever. People aren't interested right. in attacking him for it. He's impervious to it. It doesn't yeah, make any like, difference well, to him. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I guess I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. Like, it might be wise to downplay it and um, to make it so that it's you definitely have two separate yeah. entities and how many people know it too. There's another thing. This is a friend who had a secret identity that even when he did a Noman DVD, he put a gas mask on. He never had his name on it. He spoke through a vocoder so nobody would know that it was him. And he did this because that work was for the lowbrow, you know, monsters and that kind of thing, uh, game industry, etc. Real twisted uh, kind of perverse stuff. And then he also did the fine art thing where you do an original work of a beautiful portrait and he wanted to keep these two things separate. But he had a separate name, Puddinhead, for the... Puddinhead? Puddinhead. Pudding, yeah, Puddinghead. Puddinghead. Do you remember him? I've heard of him. Puddinhead? Yeah. Puddinghead. Like P-U-D-D apostrophe. Pudding. In, yeah, like pudding. Pudding. Puddinhead. Like you got all, you don't have brains, you just got pudding in there. Like Puddinhead pudding. Wilson. Pudding. Puddinhead and Mark Twain's Gary. It's a stupid person. And he used oh, that. Pudding he used head. that as his avatar, his moniker. Okay. He kept the two separate and intended to keep the two separate. I knew about it. A few of us around him knew about it. Uh, his friends knew about it. But he did not want this public. Okay. Well, somebody that he had worked with and whom he trusted asked to interview him and he made it clear, I do not want my alter ego to be, to reveal that it's me and he made that, there was no ambiguity about that. And the guy said he would honor that and then he did an article in a major publication and said, my friend who is, and revealed his identity to the world. And I talked with him the week after that came out. Talked to who? The guy that wrote the article or the friend? Yeah, my friend. 
he's not a guy who gets angry. He loves everybody. He gives permission to everybody. Really generous in all sorts of ways. Sweet. Everyone loves him. But it's the first time I've ever heard. It wasn't so much anger as it was just shock and irritation. But I said, you must be furious. He said, I am. I am. He betrayed me. And uh, I said, that relationship's over forever. And the guy apparently didn't have any, no mourning for what I've done in this relationship. He just, yeah, I had an opportunity to out him. I had an opportunity to out him on a major, on the world scale. And so he did it and he ruined his ability to have that alter ego. Now I mentioned, did he? Uh, yeah, because now everybody knows who it is. Well, but that was why part of the mystique he... that he was doing. Oh, so it, it was more than just trying to keep them separate to. Yeah, it's like outing Banksy. Yeah, I get it. The mystique is part of actually what makes it interesting. Outing Banksy, what's that? Well, Banksy like, is know, an the, artist. The, the, I know who Banksy is, but uh, like he's a secret identity. No, no, yeah, no, nobody supposedly knows. And they still don't know? Nobody knows who Banksy is? I mean, I don't know. I'm not Most people as don't. interested. Most people do know. not know who Banksy is. Okay. Yeah. It's amazing is. that he's been able to like yeah. keep it like that. But right? there is I, the thing. There are going to be people in your life who, who look at you as fodder and look at this as leverage and look at, oh, look what I've got on this person. And that's why you almost end up having to be in it, keep this only among your very closest people. Uh, because it's the kind of thing somebody says, I could use that. I could use that to, to get you. So this is, goes back to the neck tattoos and the fact that in a culture like this, there's leverage and that kind of thing. It is, you are, there is a risk. Did that hurt the that author, the writer that ousted him, did that hurt his career? I don't know. Because isn't that kind of a shitty thing to do? Would Do people want to do interviews with him if they know that he does that kind of stuff? Most people, I think, who would know that story would not want to. Yes, yeah. They, yeah. I mean, they just he, don't know. He's ruined, yeah, he's, he's ruined himself. What's with, his name? He's uh-huh. part, What's that writer's name? I don't know. Oh, you don't? No, I never did know. Oh. I didn't want to know. Actually, I mean, you know, he might have told me at the time. But I've forgotten it because this was 10 years ago. What happened to Puddinghead? Is he like I think he able to still make it. stuff? or he... He, he let it go. And he's doing his Wait, own thing. Wait, he stopped thing. doing the yeah. illustration stuff? He stopped doing, yeah, yeah, he did. He won't, and he, he let that go. He's Banksy. Maybe. <laughs> oh, shit. He he's gotten better undercover. at it. <laughs> now yeah. we've got it. we got a conspiracy theory. Oh, man. This is good. This is worth a podcast. How, wait, when was this? How long ago did he get? About 10 years ago. He's not. He's definitely He's definitely He's both of the Daft Punk guys. <laughs> both. No, yeah. but. Puddinghead is both Daft Punk. I think there's pictures of them. He's the Illuminati. I think, I think it's kind of known who they are now. <laughs> he owns Apple Computer. Yeah. yeah. What? He is Siri. He is Siri. He's Tim Apple. What? Tim Apple. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know whether I told that story for any valuable purpose or not i guess it's an example it of somebody who's got an alter ego yeah, and they were trying to protect it and story. somebody saw i've got an opportunity to expose it yeah so it's a danger of having an alter ego yeah i'm trying to figure out like if kim jong-gi wanted to do children's books would kim jong-gi be able to do children's books it'd be tough or does he can he only align himself with like adult brands like Audi, which is like, you know, only adults can buy cars. Well, I'm trying to think of any historical precedent. I'm trying to think, has anyone gone that far? Crumb could not do children's books. Well, he, Crumb did the book of Genesis. It's not a, certainly not a children's <laughs> book, uh, but he did the book of Genesis. Well, children read the Bible. Uh, they do, but they read, they tend to read 
bowdlerized versions. Do you know what that means? There was a Shakespeare plays are many of them are not appropriate for children. I mean, many of things in there, if you understood them. So where there was a guy, Bowdler, I think was his name, who tried to clean them up for kids. And so the term bowdlerized is anyone who takes okay. the book of Genesis and the book of Judges have some of the most shocking things. And all m- most of the Old Testament uh, story books have shocking stuff in there. And, and Crumb's Genesis is a whole other topic that is an interesting topic. But he would be the last choice you might think and yet he did it, and it's a marvelous achievement. Um, but that's different because it is the book of Genesis. It is not a children's book. I don't know hmm. if he could pull it off, and I don't know whether Kim Jong Gi. But is there, I'm exploring. I'm just talking, yeah. trying to figure out Me who's too, done I. it. Who has done this other than Shel Silverstein? Because Shel Silverstein is the one that occurs to me that really that is definitely not kid appropriate. And this, he's one of the most celebrated children's writers and illustrators. Well, he mentioned Dr. Seuss. What I don't know anything do? about Dr. Seuss's. Dr. Seuss did like propaganda stuff. So oh, there's he a did lot propaganda of like stuff, really, yeah. but that was sanctioned by the government. They were yeah. cool yeah. with racism and stuff back then. Yeah, and, and also Dr. Seuss is one of those yeah. one of those things that he's, uh, if you look at his times and how many other people do, and he's a very big person to look at and say, wow, can you believe that he would include that in there? And it is shocking, but uh, it is also different in content um yeah and nobody knew about it and most mainstream audience didn't didn't care he was doing war propaganda and it was the war that makes it so we can put you to sleep at night i feel like his concern of not being able to be hired to do a a, a children's book it's like if you're a self-published person and you can get the word out yourself it's not a concern but if you are publishing with someone yeah. who has a reputation and people and that reputation could be attacked like an institution that's when those kinds of people would look yeah, at your past. but most artists work for other companies yeah most if you don't want to eliminate that yeah that is a whole sphere. giant part of the industry you you want to keep those options open just the fact that we've used Liam's name means that the first stage in <laughs> well, ruining your career is that on the Draftsman podcast back in around 2020. Name. Pardon? We don't know his last name, though. We don't know who this Liam is. And Liam might not even be his real name. <laughs> yeah. Wow. His name could be Windows 10. Windows 10. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, I tell people, follow your gut and your desires mm-hmm. when they ask me questions. And I'll just, I just say that every mm-hmm. time. Boy, <laughs> I don't uh, want to answer. It. Follow your gut. I'm and your too desire. lazy to think this through. Just follow your gut. You know? Kind of. Yeah. It, I've been saying that a lot lately in my Instagram messages because it's kind of true. It's like I don't know how to answer. It's like it depends on you. And instead of just saying it depends, I just tell them like follow your gut and your desires. Mm-hmm. I don't and know. and also it's like when we did that episode on drugs is that you count the cost and take responsibility that am i willing to pay this price yeah and is it that important to me we got to say no to all sorts of things and sometimes we're put in positions where we will say no to social acceptance of some kind or some career opportunity or we will say no to that desire that we've got because sometimes they're put at a sharp razor's edge you've got to do one or the other and you cannot get both so to be aware, I am giving up this to do that. And you might get both. There's an irony in it. Cool. Okay. Well, I hope this made any difference. Look up 
Rose O'Neill. Most people don't know Rose O'Neill's work. She was great. She was a mover and culture shaper, and she did remarkable art. And look up Kim Jong-gi. Yep. <laughs> and look up yeah. Shell Silverstein. And look up Dr. Seuss. And look up... <laughs> look up Audi. Look up Audi. <laughs> <laughs> and look up Apple computers. Apple and Windows Windows 10. 10. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's take a ad break. Hopefully there's an advertiser. Oh, I trust. <laughs> and then come back for voicemails. All right. All right, here is a voicemail. Hi, Dressman. This is Jonathan Bolton. Um, I was calling to hopefully get some of your opinions on a discussion that's been going around the faculty here at my school. Um, currently, the drawing program is being highly de-emphasized, and they were apparently having a debate on whether or not drawing one or drawing in entry-level drawing should be entirely observational or a complete 50-50 combination of concept and life drawing. Um, on top of trying to cram in the figure, I would just kind of like to hear what you guys think about is entry-level drawing and having it all be from observation putting first-level students in danger of discouragement seems like a lot of the students that come in get really frustrated but I would like to hear you guys elaborate on that if you would thank you getting frustrated with what they don't understand basic concepts of drawing like shape line value they don't get they don't know what these are and so you're like draw this thing that's in front of you they're like oh what I don't know how I don't I don't even know what how to control my lines or I don't know what shapes are I'm interpreting concepts as a different thing because at the school I went to, they were heavy on concepts like, what's your idea? What's Conceptual. Your, yeah, it's yeah, like, the, what, the word, it's like, it's more the fine art approach of like, the idea is more important than the technical skill versus, that's what I was seeing it as. Uh, that we're talking about entry level drawing, not like the art class. This is drawing class. Right now, we are confused about what concepting means, whether it means concepting. He didn't concepting. say concepting. He said concepts. Concept. Concept. Concepts. Whether that means conceptual, which is if you go to a university, you are almost guaranteed to not, in the, in the United States of America, and you're an art major, and you graduate, you are almost guaranteed not to know anything about the classic approaches to drawing, that like what you teach, uh, because it was for the most part, thrown out of universities years, decades ago. And so what, what have they replaced it with? They've replaced it with what I've heard called conceptual art, which is, it's what you were exposed to, it's right? It's what I was exposed to and was very unsatisfied with. <laughs> but when you say teach someone concepts, I don't think that he's saying have them do conceptual work. It's you're teaching them concepts of drawing. And here's what I right. thought he meant. I, I, I thought he meant teach you coming up with ideas, concepts, and you have to come up with them out of imagination. And that they don't, I'm, I'm not sure that, that I understand the question. But <sighs> here's, here's, here's a couple things though. Yeah. One is this could be to the students, but I think he is addressing it as a faculty member of that we would be addressing the faculty. 
That's also it. Seems like this guy's a teacher. Yeah, and, and faculty's having these discussions to draw to do only observational drawing. Yeah, because he's saying it's de-emphasizing drawing is what he said is happening. Overall, in, I think they're trying to just like combine a bunch of things together into like one drawing class and have that one drawing class just be observational drawing. Look at what the students want to do. Where do, where do they want to go? The same way you would look at a child and say, what is it that you want to do? And really pay attention to that. And then be willing to get your own comfort and your own job security out of the way to serve them so that you can honestly say that if they succeed, I got to be a part of making their struggle to find what works easier than it would have been so that they can struggle with the necessary things, not struggle with their education at this school. Uh, that's the first thing I'd say as you're addressing this, what is it that will best serve the students for what they're trying to do? Yeah. And that's an attitude as much as anything else. And as I have observed it inside higher learning institutions, that attitude is rarer than people would think because so much energy is given to protecting my position, my job, and that's a threat to it. And that's what they really need. But that'll threaten my position. That has to be set aside for the, uh, the benefit of the students. And then the answer is easy then is that you're going to learn observational drawing and you're going to learn drawing from imagination and you're going to have some appreciation of what concepting is and we're going to see how all of this stuff will mix together to bring you to the direction of where you might make a living with this if that's what you're seeking to do or you might do your best work but it, as much as an as anything it's it's an attitude toward the students and all of those things should be included so i i think that if i understood the question correctly and he is talking about teaching them drawing concepts before they can do observational drawing. As the teacher, you can teach them these concepts while they're doing, while they're drawing from reference. You know, you can do your demonstration of drawing from, from, from life and talk about these concepts that you're using in order to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. You use life drawing to teach concepts basically. And I think you'll be able to get away with it because you're, still doing observational drawing mm -hmm. that would that's what i would do okay now here's a more important part of the uh, the answer mm -hmm. because uh we're, we're answering this to a teacher but to the students there's another approach to it that goes along with this as a student you are the client you are the one who is paying the money and it is your responsibility to assess whether this money you're paying is well invested. And many students do not have the ability to discern that, but that's the thing that is going to determine whether you are going to regret that school debt uh, or not. This is, I don't think this is college level, is it? It seemed like it was college. He's, really? He said faculty. Faculty is in a high school too. I could be. I... Yeah, we don't know. I imagined it as a high school. I imagined it as a college. He said drawing one. I don't know. Yeah, I had drawing one class in, in, high, in school. high school. Yeah, I had a drawing one class in college. Yeah. Okay, so well, it's a different it's set. A it's weird... a different set of dynamics. Yeah. For... But even if you're a student in high school, you're technically still paying for this class. Your parents are paying their tax money. Yeah, less so. You're it's still less, a you're still the client. Less serious in high school. It's when you start to go into debt for it that it becomes really serious. Yes. 
And there the advice is choose your teachers. If you say, I'm going to let this school prescribe teachers that may waste my time, uh, you're setting up, you're starting to set up a pattern right there where this is a really hard profession. And if you say, I'm just going to conform to whatever they tell me to do, and it's not serving you, and you know it's not serving you, it may be that it's serving you and you don't know it yet. Uh, Norman Rockwell talked about how George Bridgman had us draw hundreds of skulls in various positions, and we thought I thought he was overdoing it at the time, but now I see how whenever I paint a portrait, I am instinctively aware of the skull beneath the skin. So he was kind of griping uh, when he was a student about this is too hard, but he, in, he saw that it was good for him. Mm-hmm. And so that can happen is that your, your teachers are demanding something of you that may cause you some griping, but some rejoicing later. Yeah. But I think if you're sticking around there and here talking about it with other student, students and saying, is this good for me? It is why I did not finish university is I was around my friends who went from the junior college into the university and I was sharing studio space with them and I was thinking, this isn't going to take me where I want to go. And I've seen all sorts of people in the industry that never finished school because they had the wisdom to discern that this is not going to take me where I want to go. So it's the more important answer is to the students because I have never seen anything change the way something that is as solidly structured as a university art department runs. I've never seen, oh, I can, I can answer something on Draftsman Podcast and they're going to rearrange the art department and, and it's not going to happen. But the thing where it can happen is that students will assess what they're getting in the school and then adjust accordingly. And it is very well done with a group of students. Okay. I would say that if you guys are right and he's talking about college, I don't care if they cut the art department. If this is not an art school, the people, these students don't care about art. They're taking, they're trying, they're getting their major in something else. You can major in art. I know, but then it's not an art school. And they're not going to, if you major in art, is there only going to be one art class in the whole college? Just drawing one and it's just observational drawing? There's I mean, no way you can major in art with one class. There's a whole curriculum. I don't know. Exactly. There's yeah. a whole curriculum. He's talking about a school where they're trying to get it to one class. Just drawing one. They're trying to really like bring it in. We need to do a podcast on school as project. School as project. You mean like you as a student create your own curriculum and you teach yourself, you you use all your resources around you to teach yourself drawing and painting. That's what you mean? Yes. Okay. It's like somebody said that you're going to be a creative person. You're going to have a studio. Here's one of your first most important creations. Design your studio. If you're left-handed, right-handed, it's going to be different. Are you going to be facing a wall? Are you going to be facing the door that comes in? Are you going to have a TV monitor in front of you? Mm-hmm. What's going to be where? Is it going to, going to be a window or do you want to isolate it? All of that stuff is creative. You're composing, just like you compose a picture, you're composing a studio. Well, there is a bigger thing and that is composing your education and the student must be responsible for that. Because the amount of difficulty and pain and bitterness that I have been exposed to in the last week, Stan, I mean the the summer, yes, but even in the last week, students who so regret their art education 
because they're in debt, because their whole life is around mm. it, and they did not get what they wanted. Yeah. And it, it almost becomes one of those things that this is, this is turned into a major theme. Yeah. But it's a, it's a difficult theme. Uh, I don't think that the university art education system is going to change. It, it might collapse, but and, might not. It might just keep thriving. from the atelier system. Like yeah, he's talking about universities. Yeah. It's because I know enough about it and I've been around it so much to figure, let's put it on the students. Uh, your responsibility is to design your art school and to take what you can get. You live at a time where that's easier than ever. It, it could hardly be done in my time. Yeah. So, okay. I agree. We should definitely do this, uh, an episode on designing your own art school. But I think what worries me more though is if he's actually in high school a high school teacher and they are trying to cut high school art education because that's where kids might actually figure out that that is actually what they want to do. I'm not sure if if my high school didn't have a good art program, I'm not sure I would actually be an artist. I know what you mean. Yeah. You were exposed to good stuff. In high school when I was deciding what I wanted to do with my yes. life. In college, it's like it's too late. You've already decided kind of like you might change course. But you've al you're already on a course. Mm -hmm. So I think in high school is when you, people should really be given all these options to explore. And if you do choose art in high school, there should be several things. There should be enough for you to do art for four years in this high school or music for four years or whatever it is. You should, you should be able to be heavily focused on the thing of interest for all four years of high school of whatever it is you choose to focus on. And if they're going to just do one art class, that's just insane. Also, because we didn't understand the question fully, it seems like the dichotomy was between observation and uh, concept or concepting. And yeah. he, well, we could put a test for the teachers. Can your student, by the time they're done, if they have done what they're supposed to do, be able to look at things and observe them and get them laid out in proportion and match values and do the things that are valuable about observing so that their eyes are sensitive and their skills at reproducing them are high enough to where they can be relied on. And then the next thing is, is that all you can do? If you, are you able then also to do some other things, to be able some, to tumble some forms around and get some ideas down and do some thumbnailing and be able to sketch freely and some criteria for that, some test for that. And if they can, and you can fit that into one semester, I'd take up that challenge. I'd take up a half a semester on observation and a half a semester on inventing and see how it could be consolidated down. You may do this measuring and value matching and this uh, be able to tumble a few blocks around and then see how that could be a body. That could be actually be a fun semester that could just be an introduction to this great yin yang of what you see and what you're able to invent. But it's hard to answer this because we yeah. didn't yeah. quite understand it. Yeah, I feel like the word concept is the key word and that's the yeah. one that has so many, it's a, an ambiguous meaning. Well, I think we've covered all of the ranges here <laughs> of what that question could mean. And more than. <laughs> and more. So I think we're good. Charlie, you have a ball editing this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Are we on? Are you going to dare to ask me what my... Well, you already recorded a crap load of you asking me oh time to play the what's your thing rap <laughs> what's charlie your thing? take what's it away what's your thing what's your thing what's your thing
<laughs> is that gonna go in the rap? Probably. <laughs> Shit. What's your thing? 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 What what what's your thing? 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 Oh man. Wow, you're good at this. That can be the You're end of the You're way better at that. What show? Are you trying to get thing, me to say more? Thing than I am? <laughs> what? Woo! <laughs> Stan. Marshall. What's your thing? Okay. I did not know William Steig's children's books until I became a father. My son was two years old. When I started pizza, reading pizza. him, <laughs> pizza, 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 oh, that's pizza. hilarious. Pizza, Did you see pizza. the title of pizza, that? Pizza, yeah. pizza, a pizza. Pizza, a pizza is a pizza, wonderful pizza. book. Pizza, pizza. Let's see. It sounds like pizza, pizza. It does. Pete's in a bad mood. Just when he's supposed to play ball with the guys, it decides to rain. You can show the pictures I trust. Are you going to read the whole book? No, I'm just going to read the opening. <laughs> Pete's father can't help noticing how miserable his son is. He thinks it might cheer Pete up to be made into a pizza. <laughs> well, that's the premise of Pizza Pizza. <laughs> Dr. DeSoto and Dr. DeSoto goes to Africa are two of my favorites, but The Amazing Bone is one of my favorites, and Farmer Palmer's Wagon Ride, and the love story, the unlikely love story of Amos and Boris is another. And William Steig, he did Shrek. Shrek's one of my least favorite of his books, but it's the one that everybody knows because they turn it into the DreamWorks <laughs> movies. But if you don't know about William Steig, those titles that I just mentioned are some of my favorite out of the long repertoire. And he didn't become a children's book writer and illustrator until he was like 60-ish. So this was something that could have been brought up in the RU too old to, but he was a New Yorker cartoonist. And he also, he's one of those rare children's book writer illustrators who had kids. I think he had a number of kids. Uh, so he's kind of special to me. And I just wanted to mention that I really am a big fan of these books and I still read them and reread them and can even quote them. And I love his drawing. I want to do a children's book one day. Okay. You got ideas already? I do have several ideas. Okay. Uh, is Skelly involved? No, there's no Skelly involved. Come on. But anyway, Marshall. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think if William Steig had an alter ego or anything. Some of his New Yorker cartoons were, most of them were, they were he did some really weird, surreal stuff. Uh, yeah. But they what, were mostly his what wry age humor. level is this? Well, I started reading them to my son when he was two years old, two Dude, and a half really? years old. And so he, they, uh, some of the quotes from them became part of his vocabulary before he even okay. understood what they meant. At two, how do you get them interested in getting through the whole book? <laughs> oh, you do, have, do you have that problem with Cooper? I mean, kind of. When you're competing with Elmo, man. He well, he likes to take control. Hmm. He'll like, I'll start reading it and then he'll he'll want to like do it himself and like start flipping the pages and explore and touch and like talk to me about it. He's a and I'm sense? like, all right, well, I'm not reading it anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, he, yeah, he likes to be, he doesn't want to just sit and watch. He wants to be part of it. Yeah. So, it uh, has to be a book that I could just like... There's three words on that page or else I'm not reading it because he's flipping the next page. He takes right charge. Okay. Yeah, so it's a control. Charge. It's a me versus dad and I will win control issue. I don't know if it's a versus dad. It's but, more of like he's really curious and he wants to you know, figure okay. things out. 
I wish I could help. I know that. Yeah. Well, yeah. So you didn't have that issue. He would just I didn't have that issue because I would spend an hour a day when I could, and even more reading till my voice would go out. I read my son all the entire Mad yeah. Comics repertoire from. Maybe also your voice made him want to listen. I don't know. And I, my I, voice I, doesn't make do you, people you, you, want to listen. But you sit him on your lap, so you got the book out in front of you. Uh, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. we're on his bed. Mm-hmm. We're both sitting. He has a car bed. A car bed. Yeah. So, yeah. It's Gosh, a, I don't know what the answer is. Car, we both sit in it. All right. Well, I'll try it out again. Yeah. Well, with the, the William Stike books. Those look really cool. I want to. Anyway, my thing. I actually just thought of it like yeah. right now. Okay. Because I've been kind of obsessed. Let's it's a, go. It's a podcast. Draftsman. Yeah. It's called Draftsman. It's these two guys. <laughs> no. No. It's called Darknet Diaries. Dark. Have you heard of it, Net Sean? I think Diaries. you would be really interested. I will in this. write it down. So. It's, it's all about like hackers and just like stuff that goes on in the dark net mm-hmm. and like stories. It, it, they're, yeah, they're all kind of like little mini podcast documentaries about the stuff. So, a few that I've listened to so far, one, there was one that, about a penetration expert. <laughs> no, it's not what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Penetration is when... Um, a man and a woman. No, <laughs> nope, I'm just kidding again. <laughs> I am familiar with the procedure, but continue. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, we are delivering on our promise of children's book and erotic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, penetration experts. So this is, we're talking about like tech companies. When um, security, comp- not security companies, but security teams hire a penetration expert to go undercover into a company, pretend they're an employee and try to like hack things and really get into the system. Yeah. And this was, it was really cool. It was just like a guy who went in as like a marketing guy pretending to be marketing guy. And all he was given was a laptop and like his own account into the, the network. And he had to penetrate it. Hmm. He had to see how where, where the weaknesses are in the, in the security of this company. There's another one where I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but this team of uh, of like teenagers that would hack Microsoft and the whole Xbox team. Oh. Did you hear about this back in when Xbox Probably. One was coming was about to come out? And they hacked. They went so far into hacking, like it was insane how much they got. Like they were able to get the entire code of the Xbox One like a year before it was released. Oh, wow. And they were able to get into um, security cameras of like boardroom meetings and they were just be able to sit there and watch meetings happening. Wow. Yeah. And they, they would look at the code of the Xbox and... Um, they figured out based on the code exactly the specs of the hardware. And so they built the exact Xbox One hardware, put this operating system on it, and it worked. And they were able to like play games. Wow. Yeah, it was it's crazy how far it's a two part episode. It's like two and a half hours total. And it's fascinating. And Dark Net Dark Net Diaries. Diaries. It's really cool. Hmm. I've been obsessed. Nice. Wow. Yeah. You would love it. I think I will write it down. <laughs> yeah. 
listen to the xbox one because that was really cool they got really messed up after like they they got <laughs> oh no like Who, who's they they got the, the kids those t- the kids the hackers the hackers yeah, okay. yeah. they were kids okay, most yeah. of them were under 18. but they were able to figure it out yeah. and this went on for years and years without xbox ever knowing oh, huh. yeah it's cool <laughs> anyway that's my thing interesting you gonna listen to one i not. might yeah really if you're recommending are you, are you interested in that kind of stuff i read when i went through pamela bador's book on utopian and dystopian literature she had gave all sorts of recommendations so i read feed i read little brother uh do you know that that at all uh-uh. it's young adult science fiction uh of takes place in san francisco and little bro- he's a, a high school hacker uh, okay. is the main character and uh it was it was worth the time. I don't know that I mean I don't want to pitch it. I really liked Feed. Feed was the opposite kind of protagonist. These are two young people that know nothing about how the technology works and they're completely puppets of the way the world works and I'm told that some high schoolers didn't like it because they felt like it made fun of their generation. But uh it was satirical. And it was really a good book. Feed was worth the time. Because I, fe- I felt like it put its finger right on a thing that everybody should be paying attention to. And it made it amusing. It was still, it was interesting, but it put its finger right on something that was important uh, considering the times we live in. Cool. And he wrote it before Facebook. Okay, well, nice. great doing this podcast with you, Stan. Yeah, I'll sure see you next Sure hoping that some of our viewers who feel inclined will give us a five-star rating. Oh, oh. everyone. That was a smooth transition. Wow. Well, you have to include the so inclined. You have to force them to do it. You have to give them like an ultimatum. <laughs> we will hack you yes. and look Ooh. through your webcam. We can see you right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm all for the if you're so inclined. It should be voluntary, <laughs> not I mean, Last time we told them to make fake accounts. Oh, that's oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> you told them to make yeah, we, fake accounts. We as yeah, a unit. I was here we'll. complicit. <laughs> the royal we. <laughs> okay. We didn't tell them to put anything in the comments. How about this question? What art school did you go to and what was your experience? That's... That opens up a big topic that prepares us for the next episode. Uh, next season. Yeah. All yeah. right. See you next week, Marshall. See you all next week. See ya. <laughs>